Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Man, I was super sick a week ago, and uh, I apologize. I was not able to get a podcast out last week. I thought maybe I could get one out later in the week, but whatever I had just laid me out for like four or five days. So if you were looking for a podcast episode last week, that's what happened. I was down and out and sicker than I've been in years and just couldn't get a podcast episode out. So apologize for that. But the fringe benefit is, is that for all those of you who were behind on the podcast, gave you a week to try to get caught up. So, uh, and here we are back again and ready to jump back into our series on hope. Before we do that, however, just real quick, I wanted to mention that uh, in connection with this series on hope, I've decided over on my Patreon page that the podcast I produce for my supporters, my patrons, I'm going to do a series on kind of the background to the book of Revelation and how to read the book of Revelation well. And uh, so the this month I've done a podcast on, you know, what type of literature is the book of Revelation? You read Revelation, you've got beasts with seven heads and you got creatures with locust tails and grasshopper wings or scorpion tails and locust wings and Man, this is weird stuff when, you know, was John smoking something funny and seeing weird things? What's going on? Well, no, actually, Revelation is a particular type of literature called apocalyptic literature. And so I go into all of that on my Patreon page. So if you want access to those podcasts, super easy. Just go to patreon.com slash John Whitaker, patreon.com slash John Whitaker. I'll put a link in the notes below. And you can just sign up to be a patron of the Bible and Life podcast for as little as $5 a month or as much as you'd like. So swing on over to patreon.com slash John Whitaker and you can have access to the next several months. Uh, I'll be talking about the book of Revelation and whatever else I decide to do after that. All right, now let's jump into our hope series that we've been uh, walking through over the last few weeks, we've looked at various elements of our hope, new creation, new earth. We've looked at uh, things, you know, resurrection of the body and some of that. Today, I want to look at really what is the centerpiece of our hope. Like all the other things are good and important and wonderful and nice, but without this, they just wouldn't be that. This is the, 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 the thing without which there would be no goodness to our hope. All right. And that's what I want to look at today. And I want to begin by jumping into a passage just real quickly that we looked at a several weeks ago out of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as Paul is describing the return of the Lord there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As he kind of winds that down, he says this important line. He says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, those who've been resurrected uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then here's the line I want you to pay attention to. And thus, and so, this is verse 17, and so we will always be with the Lord. Did you hear it? That's really the centerpiece. That's the main thing. Here he's talking about, man, those who have died, you miss them, they're in the Lord, you're going to see them again, and that's wonderful, and that's great. But the thing that he really wants us to pay attention to is that, and in this way, them and us will all be together with the Lord. 
And that's just critical because that's the thing without which nothing else is good because the Lord is the source of all beauty, all joy, all love, all light, all brightness, everything that is good and wonderful and rich. It comes from God. And if there is, if he's not there, man, we, we don't have that. But if he's there, it's, it's wonderful and beautiful and good. This is the thing without which our hope would not be a good, living, vibrant, wonderful hope. But it is there. And so ultimately, that's what we're looking forward to is being with the Lord. In fact, the Apostle Paul in first, uh, or in Philippians chapter 1, looking um, towards maybe the end of his life. In Philippians, Paul's in jail, probably in Rome. And he is not sure the outcome of his case. He, he thinks he's going to be set free, but he's not 100% certain. And this is what he says. He says it's, it's his expectation that actually he is going to be released. He'll be let go, but he's not 100% certain. And if he had the choice, if he could control the outcome, if he could totally choose the way he was going to go, he's not sure what to choose. Listen to what he says. He says, um, yet what shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. The two being being released from prison and living on and continuing to do ministry or dying and going to be with Jesus. He says, I'm, I'm hard pressed to choose between the two. My desire, catch this, is to depart and be with Christ. That means to die and go be with Jesus. Um, but, because that's far better, but to remain on in the flesh and continue to serve Jesus here, well, that's better for you. And Man, I'm just not sure which to choose. But what I want you to notice is, look what his his chief desires. Look what he wants more than anything else. To depart and be with Christ. To depart and be with Jesus. That's the centerpiece of our hope is being with the Lord. So whether it's death now and then going to be with Jesus and awaiting our resurrection, or if we're alive when Jesus returns and being caught up with him and being with the Lord forever, that's the focal point, the centerpiece of our hope. Paul describes this again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he's really wrestling with his ministry, and he's wrestling with all the suffering he has experienced for his ministry, and he's kind of using that as an example for those of us who are in Christ. And he's he's talking then about death, and he's using the imagery there of uh, a tent, like this body being, you know, a tent right now, and we're going to go to be with Jesus, and we'll get a new tent later when we get our resurrection body. And so he's describing de- death using that imagery of a tent or even clothing, being clothed and unclothed. But in the context of that, he says, look, we know whatever happens to us, we're going to end up being with Jesus. So he says, we're always of good courage. We always have good courage. We always take heart because we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather catch this. Again, here's his chief desire, and we would rather, if we had to choose, be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Um, for Paul, being with Jesus is more important than than being alive in this current state, in this current flesh, because he wants to be with him so bad. And that's the centerpiece of his hope. And that's the centerpiece of our hope as well. So as we think about our hope and we think about where our life is going, um, the Apostle Paul really models for us this example of our greatest desire, our heart's greatest longing ought to be to go and be with Jesus. 
The more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we see how wonderful and glorious and beautiful and incredible and desirable he is, all of a sudden we realize, man, I want that more than anything else. That's what I long for most of all. And I think it's that desire, that longing that explains an interesting little almost passing comment in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, uh, says that as John's looking around at the scene that's being uh, painted before him and he sees this, this picture of future glory and the new earth and, and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, he sees all this, he says, and I didn't see a temple there. Well, that's an interesting little comment, and there's probably a, a, a variety of little reasons for that. But I think one of the things that explains that is the significance of the temple in the Jewish worldview and in the biblical worldview, what the temple represented, and then what's going on there in Revelation 21. Let me show you what I mean. To do that, I want to look at a couple Psalms. Psalm 42 describes the psalmist longing to go to the temple and to worship. And it, in their thought world, we don't fully understand it, so we've got to try to hear it their way. It makes a lot of sense. Psalm 42, verse 1, is very familiar. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Very familiar, but I want you to hear what he's really getting at. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This is that desire for God because of knowing God's glory and beauty and wonderfulness, right? Then he says, when shall I come and appear before God? What's he getting at? Well, when he says, when shall I come and appear before God? He's thinking of going to the temple and worshiping the temple and experiencing God's wonder and glory and beauty there. Let's keep reading so you can hear that. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while they Say continually to me, where is your God? These things I remember, O God, as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the crowd and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And he's remembering how he used to be able to go to the temple and go to worship, and for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to for a long time. And maybe it's because of some opposition, not totally sure, but he hasn't been able to be there. And he's longing to go to the temple and appear before God and gaze upon God. Why? Because the temple is the place where earth and heaven intersect in biblical theology in the Jewish thought world. It's the place where earth and heaven intersect. It's the place where God and man meet. And so you go to the temple and you get to, you get to experience the, the goodness of God. You get to see the glory of God. You get to worship the beauty of God there in the temple. And that's what he's longing for. Now, you keep uh, reading in a different psalm, Psalm 27. And this, it says this, Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that's what I'm going to seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Do you hear that longing? I, if I could, I just would pitch my tent. I would just set up my house right there in the temple of the Lord to, to live there all the days of my life so that I could gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That's what the temple was for uh, God's faithful people. People under the old covenant. It was the place where earth and heaven intersect. It was the place where they could go and see God's beauty and experience his glory. It represented the heart of their longing, their longing to be near God, their longing to be with God, their longing to worship God. That's really what the temple was. Well, now back to Revelation 21, and let me just read you this. Revelation 21, verses 22 and following says, 
And I saw no temple in the city. Remember, this is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven um, and being kind of founded, boom, established on the new earth. And so as he's looking around this new Jerusalem, he says, whoa, 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 there's no temple there. There's no temple there. Remember, John's a Jew, and he knows their history. He knows these Psalms, and he knows that the temple was the heart of their worship and the, the heart of their desire to be near to God. I didn't see a temple there. And then he gives the reason why. For its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. What's going on? Well, here's what's going on is there's no temple because God himself is there in the city. There, there doesn't need to be a, a physical a place that represents God's presence. There doesn't need to be a physical place that kind of symbolically and experientially um, is the place where earth and heaven intersect because God himself actually lives in this city. He fills the whole city. We don't need a, a, a space, a temple to go to because God himself is there. And my friends, that is the centerpiece of our hope. As we look forward to the future, a resurrection body that's glorious and wonderful and strong and beautiful and has no pain and no hurts and, every, and, and will never die again, that's wonderful. A perfect earth like a garden of Eden on steroids, it's beautiful and glorious and the fruit is sweet and juicy and wonderful and we can interact with the animals, that's incredible and that's glorious and it's going to be wonderful. But those things without the goodness and the beauty and the glory of God would not be good and they wouldn't be wonderful. God himself is the source of all beauty, all wonder, all strength, all joy, all love. And there's no temple there in this new earth that we're going to dwell in because God himself is there. God himself is there and we'll gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We'll dwell in the glory of his presence day in and day out. And we'll have this access to him and this experience of him unlike anything we can even imagine now. And so the, that explains Paul's longing where it's like, man, if I could choose I would choose to depart and be with Jesus because that's far better. That's far better. And that, that is the centerpiece. That is the focal point. That is the most important part of our hope. In fact, I can't help but think of another psalm, Psalm 63, that describes this longing for the Lord. You know, oh God, you are my God. Early in the morning, I, I long for you. My soul thirsts for you like in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I, I happen to live in a, you know, kind of a higher area desert. We get only 11 inches of precipitation a year, total most of that between November and January. I've been out fishing on the, the river in, you know, middle of July and it's 95 degrees, bone dry, dusty. And I get that feeling of, man, after just a little bit of time without water, man, I am craving water. And, and no matter how cold that river is, at times it looks so good just to, to sit in or jump in or, you know, even if necessary to drink from. I've been backpacking in, my water bottles run out and I'm at 8,000 feet and I'm bone dry and I need some food. And here comes this mountain stream. And man, I'm going to fill my water bottle from that. This long, Longing, Psalm 63, like a dry and weary land where there's no water, longing for God. Well, with that in mind, listen to Psalm 16, uh, 
9 or 10 and 11. Psalm 16, 10 and 11. Actually, let's pick up in verse 9. It says this, Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. Why? For you're not going to abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead in the Hebrew language. You're not going to abandon my soul to the place of the dead. You're not going to let your Holy One see corruption. And this ultimately, you know, is applied to Jesus by Peter on the day of Pentecost. But it's true of us if we're in Jesus because the same thing's true. We're going to be resurrected and we're going to be given new life. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to be with God. And then verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence is the fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's, that's our longing fulfilled. This longing to be near God. This longing to dwell in his presence. This longing to gaze upon his beauty. This longing to be close to him. Like in a dry and weary land where there is no longer. Psalm 16, 11 describes that longing satisfied, that longing fulfilled. We're not going to be abandoned to Sheol. We're going to go to be with him and he will be with us and our heart's deepest longing will be fulfilled. That's the culmination of our hope. That's ultimately what we want more than anything else. And that's that's the, the centerpiece of the glory that awaits us in Christ. As I reflect on these psalms and these passages and this idea of being near God and being with Jesus, my heart kind of swells up and wants to say, oh God, I long to be with you. I can't wait for the day when I behold your glory unlike anything I've ever seen. Oh God, fill me now with a greater longing for you that the most important thing in my life and the the deepest desire of my life is to depart and be with you, just like the Apostle Paul. I pray that that's your heart's desire as well and that we would all, with longing hearts, look forward to the day our our heart's deepest desire is satisfied in the presence of God forever and ever. Hey, thanks for joining me in this episode of The Bible in Life. May you live with great hope as you set your gaze on God himself. God bless you guys. We will see you in the next episode of The Bible in Life.